Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. It's one of my Saturday episodes, and these are usually a little different as they are done live in front of an audience on the Sean Atwood YouTube channel on Wednesday nights. So this interview with Harvard lawyer Lee was part of the four-hour show that goes out on Sean's channel and on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast. Harvard lawyer Lee is what she goes by online, and Lee is a 30-year trial attorney, mediator, and of course, Harvard Law grad. She is also now a YouTuber, part of the law tubers that are becoming extremely popular online. That is, you know, many top lawyers creating their own YouTube channels as a way of explaining legal stuff to lay people like me and most of you, I imagine. I think it's really important to have these people breaking down law into plain English to prevent a power imbalance between the haves and the have-nots with regards to knowledge, because knowledge is power. So I very much appreciate what Harvard Lawyer Lee does. And if you do too, go check out her YouTube channel. She speaks about all sorts of things, including the big murder cases of the day. Today, we're talking about the new revelations in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case that we thought was over. It's far from it. It's alive and kicking. And we look at the latest developments in the Elon Musk trial with Twitter, as that is kicking off as well. I know that not everyone is that interested in the celebrity gossip of the day, and we don't usually cover that on this podcast. But I think sometimes it's nice to take a break from murder, culture wars, and other serious cultish topics. And also, we do talk quite a bit about the nature and morality of certain aspects of law. We do get a bit philosophical so it's not all surface. Coming up are episodes about the cult of reality TV and a chat with Professor Dave Farina about everything from trans rights and abortion rights to flat earth theory and paranormal belief. But now you're on the edge of Harvard Law with Harvard Lawyer Lee. It is Harvard Lawyer Lee. How are you doing, Harvard Lawyer Lee? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming, especially at short notice and everything. Where are you calling us or talking to us from today? From Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know very much about that. Is that where, just Georgia where to kill a mockingbird? No, that's not where that is. Alabama. Alabama for Uh, Tickle George is a different thing. So why do they call you Harvard Lawyer Lee? I presume Harvard Lawyer. Yes, yeah. So um, Harvard Lawyer Lee is just the name of my YouTube channel. I went to Harvard. I'm a lawyer and my name is Lee. Although my very favorite comment ever from a viewer is, 
Somebody said, you know, I figure you're probably a lawyer who went to Harvard. Your name is Lee, but I like to think that your first name is Harvard, your middle name is lawyer, and your last name is Lee. So I'm like, yep, that's it. That's the reason. Imagine that. Or it would be like your parents really setting you up. And, and you know, I once, I once, who did I know? I knew yeah. some parents who called their kid, I think, Aphrodite, and all the, all the kids had different Greek goddess names. And I thought you're really setting them up for disappointment, yeah. you know? A lot of pressure. Oh, living up to that kind of right. thing. So you've got a YouTube channel, of course, as you say, Harvard Lawyer Lee, and you talk about all the different kinds of legal matters of the day, uh, in, particularly in pop culture and things, and the, the big the big stories of the day. And I want to ask you a little bit about the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp stuff, because I thought that had just gone dead. And it's sort of still lingering on. What's Just for those who haven't kept up with it, you know, what's the latest going on there? So we're getting pretty close to the appeal documents coming in. Amber has named some brand new attorneys. She kicked out her old attorney, Elaine Bredehoff, which was pretty sensational news. She's hired wow. two brand new lawyers to handle the appeal. And now she's got, it'll probably, the due date I think was September 4th. But now that they have new lawyers, I wouldn't be surprised to see them asking for more time. That's kind of common anyway, but if, you have new lawyers, good chance the appellate court would give it to you. So we may not really get briefing all that long. That can take a year or more anyway. So so she is appealing now after being found, am I right in saying, guilty of defamation for what she wrote or, or said in an interview about Johnny Depp. That's, what, that's the original thing that happened, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good description. Technically, you wouldn't call it guilty since it wasn't a criminal case, but right. liable, you'd say. She was found liable for defamation. He was also, and he's appealing too. Um, he was also found liable for defamation, just to a much lesser degree. You know, fifteen million versus two. Why does he? I just don't know why they they bother. Why do you think that it's that important? I mean, obviously he wanted to clear his name, and you you saying there that he was also found liable. I didn't even know that. I think most people don't even know that. He seems to have his name name pretty much cleared. Why does? What's in it for him to keep sort of you know pushing back? So for him, it's not so much that he wants to keep pushing back. It's not really that he wants to keep going. It's that if she's going to appeal, typically the decision the lawyers would make is, well, okay, we'll appeal hmm. the kind of small verdict against him also at the same time. Right. It's That's just a kind of common decision, but it's not necessarily that he wants to keep going. In fact, I think he would love for it to stop. I think he would, because it turned out well for him, the, the liability against him was for a particular statement that his lawyer made. And so I, oh. I think most people figured, well, you know, that wasn't all that bad against Johnny. So it, it really turned out well for him. And if he could stop, I bet he would. <laughs> How can you be found liable for defamation for something your lawyer said? Well, if, if the person is acting as your agent, and then you could be found liable for what they did. And so the ruling oh. was... He wouldn't come in and answer questions. You know, he claimed the attorney-client privilege for everything. So the judge ruled that Depp would be responsible for what he said, and therefore there was a ruling or a finding against him by the jury. The, mm. What the What's jury did saying? was they, they gave $2 million to Amber Heard from Johnny, and they gave $10 million to Johnny from Amber, and then added $5 million in punitives on top of that. But that got reduced. Virginia law has a provision that you can't have that much impunitive, so it got reduced to 350000 
that she that she gave to him or that he gave to her? Yeah, she owes to him. Ten total ten million three hundred fifty thousand, and then the amount right. he owes to her two million. Does she, so do they subtract it then? So is it just she owes him eight million? For most purposes, yes. I mean, it would just be that she owes him eight million. But just to, she ha- they're both on separate appeals. I mean, he could he could lose his appeal and his case is over and she could win her appeal. I mean, that's a theoretical thing that could happen. And if so, then he owes the two million and she gets a new trial. I mean, we don't really know uh, what'll happen on the appeal. Is this I mean, what sort of wealth are we talking about with both of them? Do they is that is that is that change for them, pocket change, or is that like a lot of money for Amber Heard, eight million dollars? Her attorneys say she doesn't have them have the money. Elaine Bradahoff, the attorney who got canned recently, went on the morning talk shows and said, you know, Amber can't possibly pay for that. She doesn't have the money for that. So we mm. you know, her story anyway is she can't pay for it. She hasn't paid an appeal bond for it, as far as we know. So she just may not have the money. Now Johnny probably has the cash. He could pay the two million. And and what happens with defamation when somebody simply can't pay? Well, what would happen is there could be an enforcement of the judgment against the person and you would go to the local court and you would try to get that, you would, you would get the judgment entered and you would try to enforce that by collections, just like you would, Hmm. except it's a really big collection. $2 million is different from your, you know, average, you know, somebody didn't pay their rent for the last month. Bloody hell. And so she came out after the last, uh, after the court case, and she was, you know, in trouble, liable for defamation for saying, I believe that Johnny was a uh, a wife beater. And then did she go and say it immediately after in a new interview? So, um, yeah, the wife beater comment was a comment Depp made that he was found, um, that he was, well, <laughs> Go back even further. <laughs> One of the UK newspapers made that comment about Johnny, called him a white beater, and then he sued in the UK over that. And y'all probably are more familiar with that, you know, than even people in the US would be. Although this yeah. is pretty international by now, the yeah. news. I, I, and I forgot, what was your question? Just uh, so, so I, I believe that she was then found, what the defamation that she was found liable for was implying that, that he was a wife beater, right? It was comments she had made in an op-ed she wrote in the Washington Post. And one of them specifically said, I was a victim of domestic abuse. And so that the implied statement, according to Johnny Depp's team, was that this means that you think Johnny Depp did this. You say he did this. And so that comment was one of the pivotal ones. And it's one of the main ones that's going to be on the appeal. We've already had comments from her attorneys saying, you know, that wasn't fair. She says she didn't write that title, that the Washington Post wrote the title of the op-ed, so it wasn't her fault. Mm. So that we'll, we'll watch that on appeal. It'll be very interesting. Do you have sympathy for that, um, for her argument there? For that, for her argument that she didn't write it? Um, yeah. I think there were two arguments. One was, okay, I didn't write that. And the other was, I never mentioned his name. I mean, there were more arguments, but, you know, I never mentioned his name. So how do you know I'm talking about Johnny Depp? And they're going to argue that, too. I have zero sympathy for that. I think it was completely clear that she was arguing that it was Johnny Depp. I mean, I don't think there was any question that everybody (laughs) thought that. The harder question legally, I think, is the one about her not writing the title. Um, The arguments for that 
I think on Depp's team are really strong, but that's going to be a serious issue on the appeal. Oh, it's going to be fascinating. I got a, a comment from Andy C seventy seven on in the in the comments. Uh, was she not abusive to Johnny? My understanding of that is that is that irrelevant to the case, or is it relevant? She, he definitely claimed that she was, but it wasn't really necessary for the defamation case because that wasn't. It came in. A lot of that evidence did come in. But yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't really relevant to the defamation case itself. It just sort of came in on the periphery. The main part that was his case against her was that she had abused him. What do you think of, um, I, I guess, watching this, what, one of the main things that maybe British people watching this are shocked by is is how much this is in public. You know, we're not allowed to take cameras into court. And yet this is like shown around the world. We can't believe it. It's such juicy gossip, I suppose. And at the same time, you get stuff read out like text messages and things from, uh, uh, you know, Johnny Depp talking to his friend and actor, Paul Bettany, uh, where obviously they don't look very good. And that sort of scares me a little bit because I feel like if I'm Paul Bettany there, I think I haven't done anything wrong. I'm nothing to do with any of this and my private messages are being read out in public is that a little bit scary or strange to you what a great question I mean that is a really perceptive question about I think that's really a problem that's going to be bigger for everyone it's not just a U.S. problem but you know we have this sort of notion that a lot of the things we do are private like if you text somebody you know if you send an email that oh that's just between us and it may not be you know there's an electronic record of that and for the U.S. we we do have a belief that you know the court system is open that does a lot of judges won't allow recording whether it be on tv or like with court tv broadcasting this whether regardless they just don't allow that even in the u.s so it's not definite but there is just a general presumption that the court system ought to be open that there ought to be an availability of the public to be able to walk into the courtroom or these days see it on tv (laughs) electronically and know what's happening so that there's accountability it is Hmm. still controversial though not every judge thinks that uh, case should be broadcast I suppose you're weighing up on one side the transparency of you know law and order and making sure that nothing you know gets missed out. Everybody can see that there was no foul play versus the privacy of the individuals involved, particularly those indirectly involved. Right, that is so true. And the judge is constantly supposed to be um, evaluating that. And that's one of the things that played into. You've probably seen some media coverage about some of the more some of the juicier facts that didn't come in at the trial and that are now being talked about because she made those documents public. Now that doesn't necessarily always happen after a trial, but she did make everything public. And so all those motions that the parties wrote saying, this is too embarrassing. Don't let it come into trial. Those are now public. And so is the information that the parties were trying to keep out on both sides. And also I was wondering, you know, what do you think of of sort of having a jury and especially, and we have those as well, of course, um, especially given how public the case was, how could the jury not be, uh, you know, uh, moved by the press? And which was, I think, mostly on Johnny's side, perhaps rightly and fairly, but how do you ensure a fair trial? You know, the judge had, it was a long trial too. It wasn't like, You know, it was just overnight and everybody could leave their cell phones at the courthouse. It was, you know, weeks and weeks and they had to stay 
um, separated from all of that, which is a normal part of life for most of us is going on social media or just reading the news. So in this case, what the judge did was every day she gave the jury a charge reminding them that you're not to go on social media. You're not to look at any of that information and you have to keep your understanding of the case limited to what you're seeing at the courthouse every day in the court. So, and there was, there was talk from Amber Heard after the trial about from her team about how it was really something where the jurors clearly were influenced, that they clearly had gone out and seen this information in the public. But there was zero evidence of that. She was saying that, but there was no juror who had come forward and talked about that. There was no reason to believe that. And other than, you know, maybe somebody happened to mention it to somebody, the what everybody pretty much thinks happened is that the jury followed those instructions. The court told them that. Yeah. Still, it's it's a bit of a, I do understand their point because you go home and put the TV on if you're a juror in that case, and you can't help but see both of their faces plastered all over the screen. Yeah, I think they would have had to have avoided any sort of media for, you know, that six week period. But think how interesting it would have been to have a front row seat on that too. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yeah. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist 
Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You don't usually want to be called up for jury duty. I've never been called up for jury duty, but how does that work? Do they have to do like special pe- – I guess it's just random people, and then you go, oh, it's Johnny Depp that I've been called up for, right? Yeah, you probably would. Either you got a questionnaire in the mail, it told you, or until you showed up at the courthouse and people said, okay, here are the judges and the parties will be here shortly. Here's the case. And Well, that would be so interesting, I think. Maybe like the one time that you uh, you don't mind getting jury duty. I've got a comment right, from Ray right. J saying I never ask his questions. I haven't I haven't seen them. I don't think I'm seeing all the comments. I see you said, oh, here we are. How would you rate Camille Vasquez's Vasquez, uh, performance uh, in comparison to Elaine? So um, I thought Camille was amazing. She did a really great job. She did an especially good job on cross-examination. I think um, Elaine Bredehoff got a hard time. A lot of people saying she wasn't as competent an attorney as, you know, particularly maybe as Ben Chu, who was the other attorney for Johnny Depp. I thought she did well. I had a, she had a certain set of facts to work with. I thought there were a few places where she faltered, and and I thought in particular the first cross examination of Johnny Depp just did not work. And you know that was a you know, some place where Amber's team just kind of didn't make it. But I really thought the star of the case was Amber Heard. And where the case rose and fell was on Amber Heard and not on Elaine Bredehoff. Because I think it was, I have a series I've been doing now on my channel about the various types of evidence that really undermined Amber's credibility. Where did it go wrong? Because at the beginning, I at least was neutral. I knew almost nothing about the case. I just thought, well, well, I have a YouTube channel now. I'll, I'll blog some about this. And so I just started talking about the case. And it was only after I started watching the testimony that I was like, I don't really believe her. And I wondered, what was it that made me not believe her? You know. And so I went back through, did kind of a deep dive into what was the evidence and where did it go wrong? You know, How did I come to that conclusion, figuring that would be interesting for other people also who apparently reach the same conclusion. Well, yeah, I'm intrigued to hear what it is as well because I'm also wondering what that is. And I, my, my concern, and it's only a, a small concern at the back of my head, is saying, is this some sort of internalized sexism? Uh, are we primed in some way to not believe women uh, and stuff like that? And I'm sure I'm not the only person. To, I'm not saying that is what it is. I'm just saying I'm, cons- you know, maybe who knows if it is that. So, what kind of stuff did you did you see that you think it, that made her an unbelievable witness? The stuff I talked about was sort of very specific to. Sorry. Okay. Not witness, was she? Like I talked about the fact that um, I I went through testimony and I have, I take the actual video from the trial. Like, okay, here's her testimony about Johnny Depp sitting there with ice cream melting on his lap. And 
when you listen to her testimony and you take it through that and then look at the cross, you sort of see it start to fall apart. She says, yeah, he was passed out and, you know, he spilled this ice cream. And then you, you kind of pull that apart and you realize, okay, well, after the cross examination, he'd been working 17 hours. He says she placed the ice cream on his lap. She took the picture. She says she did it to help him, but then she sent it out to a friend. She did And it just sort of suddenly starts to seem kind of mean instead of anything else. There was another one. She said, she wrote a friend that said, you know, yay for mornings. And she had a picture breakfast table with four lines of cocaine, um, a shot glass full. And, you know, I went through, okay, here's what, you know, here's what her testimony was about that. And here's how Depp's team, her thesis was, well, you know, Johnny Depp is right here about, he's been up all night partying and he has his table laid for more cocaine and more drinking and it's in the morning. But when sort of when you looked at the table, which had, you know, nut was, you know, had completely clean glass and it didn't look like anybody had been partying all night. <laughs> it did not look like that. And it sort of just fell apart. The testimony did. So you, as you pulled it piece by piece, you just kind of stopped believing in what she was saying. And that was what I found as I sort of looked back through the evidence. Interesting. And I suppose there were there were bits about him being potentially abusive as well, weren't there? And then there were those those messages that I think it was unfair on Paul Bettany to have been shared, but of course, you know, saying about burning her body and things like that. And I think you do have to have, you know, room to be absurdist and horrible if you want. That's not a crime in a private message. But did did that concern you about Depp's behavior at all as as well? Definitely. And I thought that um, Amber Heard's team did a better job of bringing that out in the re in the examination of him on rebuttal than they did at first. And, mm. you know, those things were disturbing. I don't think that, and he, but I thought a key difference was when that stuff was brought up, what you had Depp say was, Hey, that's really disturbing. I can't believe I said that that was appalling. And when stuff like that would be brought up that Amber Heard had said, she'd be, she'd have an explanation or, you know, she would argue with it. She never said, okay, yeah, what was I thinking? That was really stupid. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's one of the things that kept people from sympathizing with her and believing her. Interesting, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get everything that you're saying. I mean, so, so what's, what's the next stage? Does she have any chance, in your opinion, of, of turning this all around? I think she does. I mean, I think it's definitely possible. Anything can happen on appeal. And from the moment the verdict came down, I said, one thing you have to understand is in a six week trial, there is something in there that's reversible. <laughs> you can't do a six week trial with the probably thousands of rulings that the judge had to make. Some of them on the spur of the moment, you know, objections that were made at trial. And you can't do that for six solid weeks and never have something that an appellate court would disagree with. You just absolutely can't. So sure, it's possible. I think there will be a lot of reluctance to overturn it. We all saw what a massive undertaking this was, what it cost in terms of the infrastructure that the city had, a Fairfax had to put up, what it, what it cost in terms of media scrutiny and all of those things. It was a really expensive long trial. I think it would be awfully, un I think it would be tough for the appellate court to overturn this because so much was invested in it. The judge, as Karate, did an amazing job. She really did, ruling after ruling. 
She was just as fair and unbiased. I, I really, my hat was off to her. So there will be a lot of deference to her. If it gets reversed, it'll probably be on one of the big issues like, you know, First Amendment or some of the issues where they are bringing in the new lawyer specifically aimed at those. Those are, they're specifically lawyers who do First Amendment work. So that's obviously where Amber's heading on the appeal. I suppose a cynic might say that for, uh, you know, whether it's a huge undertaking or not, or how much money's going into it, every day that this goes on is another day that the two of them stay at the top of the world headlines. That's true. That's true. And <laughs> which is a good thing for Johnny. And actually, I'm not totally sure it's bad for Amber. You know, the old saying about, you know, say anything you want about me, just spell my name correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's a good thing no, for yeah. Amber too. I don't know. No press is bad press. Um, yeah. I've got another question from Ray J. Speaking of press, actually, is what is Lee's view on the bad press, the law tubers? And we've had a few law tubers on this show. I'm a big fan of many of you guys are getting in US media. Do you know much about that? Um, I'm sort of a newer law tuber, so I wasn't really involved. I, I suspect that what um, Ray, it was Ray J, right? Is Ray J, about, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I suspect there was a sort of um, altercation between some of the law tubers about one guy who actually went to the trial and made a big um, expression uh. during the trial, and he was sitting right behind you know, the people doing the cross-examination, so it really showed on TV. And I think then there was a dispute over that. <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about it. I don't really have an opinion on that. But I, I saw them, you know, have an argument. Well, fair enough. Hey, tell me a little bit about what's going on with Elon Musk. Are you up to date with all that stuff and the Twitter legal cases happening? Well, I've certainly been following it. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. That's, you know, a an epic case, to say the least. Probably the most interesting thing to me is the judge actually told them they had to try that case two months. <laughs> she was like, well, I guess it was total three. But, you know, from the time it was filed to the time it's tried, three months. A case of that magnitude is absolutely crazy. And the people being deposed are, you know, Jack Dorsey, <laughs> Elon Musk, the, some of the most difficult people you would ever get in a deposition to start with. And it's going to be fascinating. It really will be. What, what is that? Just to spell it out. Uh, can it be even spelled out in, in very layperson basic terms? What's happening? Um, yeah, I, think, I think it can. I did, I did a, a video on this to try to break it down for people because I think it's an important case, but it can be real hard to understand sometimes, you know, yeah. all the legal forms, you aren't really sure. So essentially, you know, Elon Musk wanted, said he would buy Twitter and he went through with that, signed a document and Twitter says, when you sign that document, you had lots of chances, Elon, to put in things like, you know, I'll only buy it if we're going to do due diligence, we're going to do this and that. And you didn't. You didn't put any of that in, Elon. And so, in fact, you said, you know, we're going to just barrel ahead. I'm buying it. Okay. I'm buying it. Take this deal. And we did. And now you have other conditions. And you now say you only want to buy it or that you refuse to buy it because we had um, a lot of fake accounts. He says there were a lot of fake accounts on there that are nothing but bots. They aren't real people. So it's kind of like if you said, well, I've got 15 customers, but half of them were fake and you only had seven, seven and a half <laughs> customers. Then, you know, the, the person buying your grocery store or whatever would say, you know, oh, wow, I thought you had 15 customers. I'm not going to be able to make money. So Elon Musk is saying, 
there aren't enough real people on it. You lied to me about that. And now that I know from some of the documents that there aren't enough, aren't real people behind these accounts, it's not as big. Uh, it shouldn't be as valuable as what I offered for it. Right. So, and, yeah. And he has counterclaims and a lawsuit all his own. So. And there's, I, I suppose there are, because on that, I mean, what you just explained is is terrible if that's what's happened. If they valued it at a certain, you know, and they've got fake accounts. I, I remember knowing about somebody um, in, in America who, who had a building, like a hotel kind of thing, and was inflating the prices and the contracts that people would sign, you know, and giving them a discount so that they would sign things in the contract saying that they were paying more than they were. So when he sold the hotel, he sold it to people who thought they would be able to get better prices than they than they got and i suppose this is and then when you know they found oh god no one's paying these prices and they'd bought something for much more than it was worth it's a similar thing wow. on the other side people are suggesting that elon musk knew that this would happen because surely he had wow. a good idea of the amount of bots he's elon musk uh, and is doing this to devalue twitter could that be happening that's exactly what Twitter's arguing. And they're saying too, not only did you already know this, but the whole reason you said you wanted to buy us is because you said you thought we had a lot of fake accounts and you, that we needed to come clean on that. And so, you know, what's the surprise here? And so it, it'll be fascinating to see because this is sort of, I mean, and it's so expressed. So, you know, you got three months, get the whole thing over and done with, and you've got, thousands probably of lawyers working on this all at the same time. It's, it's really a fascinating case. Oh, when does that, when will we know, when's that all kicking off? I don't remember the date, but I think it was October is when the trial is supposed to be. Okay. Oh, it's all kicking off. It's really exciting because, and that's just the law, the law case. But of course, there's so much to discuss. If we had more time, of course, around Elon Musk, uh, if he were to take over Twitter, what that would mean for freedom of speech, and whether it's okay for private companies to be blocking people, or whether they have a moral duty to do it. It's just a whole fascinating uh, can of philosophical worms isn't it we've got like a couple minutes left so do you want to just tell us a, a little bit about uh your channel and where people can find you and, and why they should go and find you yeah sure um my channel is harvard lawyer lee and i talk about some of the most interesting cases of our day really anything really absolutely fascinating and my goal is to take the cases and make them something you can understand not just a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo but something <laughs> where you can say okay yeah, I get that. And it can become something that, you know, when somebody's talking about it at the water cooler, you're sort of scratching your head wondering, what is that about? <laughs> you can understand it. Okay, that's what the case is about. And I love doing videos and stuff, taking it straight from the trial when that's available. So you can watch it for yourself and sort of judge for yourself. How are the people doing? What do you think about it? Truthfully, I just love law <laughs> and I love legal <laughs> cases. So it's a lot of fun for me, you know, working on this and doing the videos and I love interacting with the comments. I've just had a great time doing it. Well, I think that you law tubers are an important staple of democracy because as you say, I mean, the law stuff can sometimes be a little bit out of reach for those of us who haven't studied it and mm -hmm. we need to be able to, you know, made to understand it if we want to follow the cases. So I, I would I would urge uh, viewers to go check out Harvard lawyer Lee and subscribe and say nice things to her. Um, Lee, thank you so much for joining us and have a lovely thank day. You. Thank you, I appreciate it.
you, Harvard Lawyer Lee, for coming on the show. And thank you, Sean Atwood, for allowing me to use this interview that is originally from the Sean Atwood True Crime Podcast. So do go check that out. That's part of the four-hour whatever thing. If you want to tune in live one time, go to Sean Atwood's YouTube page most Wednesday nights and interact with all the people in the chat as we chat to all different kinds of people. I really enjoy talking to Lee, Harvard lawyer Lee, that is. I think she's really perceptive and good at breaking down complex law stuff for folks like me. So do give her a subscribe and on YouTube and check out the YouTube version of this podcast too on The Edge with Andrew Gold and please share it around and tell friends to listen. See you next time out when my guest will be Rutherford who tracked down his biological parents because he was adopted only to find out that his father was a child murderer. See you then. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.